We are continuing today in our Advent series, um, We Believe. And again, our desire is to lay before you the story in its entirety so that we can better understand the coming of Christ, the reason for Christmas, and look forward with even more eager anticipation um, the resolve, not, to, not just to this story, but to our story as well. Um, so thus far, we've covered the creation, talking about how God is good and all that he does is good. We finished last week, uh, or the first week of our Advent series, seeing that he created in six days everything in the universe, including man, the pinnacle of his creation, and man was enjoying that goodness with God. Last week, Pastor Wayne addressed the fall, the fact that humanity turned from God, turned away from his goodness um, in order to seek selfish gain. Man wanted God and more, and sin entered the world in the garden uh, with the serpent and Adam and Eve. Sin affected all humanity. Uh, we all have sin. And Wayne ended with, the, with God's goodness once again, and the more sin increased, uh, God's grace abounded even more. But we are still fallen, and as was alluded to last week, sin brought the promise of the Savior, and that's where we pick up today. I want to address the need to be redeemed in lieu of our state of darkness. Uh, we need Christ, the perfect light and the undeserved, loving act of Jesus coming down to earth to save. We need that today. And so today we're going to talk about our need for redemption and that we believe in redemption. Um, just as a little uh, fun fact, uh, Wayne and I often discuss TV shows and movies that we watch and enjoy, and we share many of the same values of things that we call quality, TV shows and movies that we call quality. And it's not about um, the action or the, the, the CG details um, or even the actors themselves. It's all about the storyline. Uh, we really value storyline, and the storyline must have certain qualities. Um, and we recently just saw a movie that had so many of these qualities that we value, like courage and justice and bravery, compassion, sacrifice, uh, overcoming adversity, uh, a maturation process, um, and a fight for what is right. If, it, if a movie or a story has all those things, and we consider that a pretty good uh, movie. But maybe more than any of those qualities uh, is that we love a good story of redemption. Uh, seeing someone go through something so hard, so dark, and coming out on the right side, coming out um, better for it, is a really inspiring story. And no story um, has a deeper quality of redemption than the Bible. And the truth of the matter is, at this point in this story, man has fallen, sinners, and we are in need of saving. Man is in need of saving. And so this also means that my story and uh, your story is a part of the greatest story ever told. And we get to experience the deepest level of redemption that anyone can ever experience because we too are sinners in need of Christ. Um, so we're talking about the promise of the coming Savior. The only hope for fallen humanity uh, is the coming Savior, that God would send someone. The moment sin entered the world, the only remedy was a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sin. And that would have to be Jesus. And this is the part of the story here in the Bible where things get really, really good. Um, and there's a saying and a common thread in many stories where it has to get really bad before it gets any better. Um, to borrow a quote from a well-known movie, the night is darkest just before the dawn. Um, 
And I think that's very applicable here. I want to recap quickly the journey of Israel. I want to cover where we left off last week um, with the fall to where we're starting today. Um, And this is a general overview. I don't want to miss... Uh, too much of the story, like I said at the, the first week, we don't want to skip when we read the first chapters of a book, you don't just skip to the very end and see how it resolves you got to see why and how things got to where it did um, so follow me briefly as I review the world, this is going to be a really quick overview, the world was full of sin so full that God uh, sent a flood and then promised to never go to that extreme again Later on, God called Abraham out of Mesopotamia when he said, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I call you, that I, sh- that I will show you. And God promised Abraham offspring that would be innumerable. And he became the father of Isaac, who had Jacob. And Jacob was the father of twelve sons, who became the twelve tribes of Israel. Israel found themselves enslaved to Egypt, uh, but God was still with them and rescued them from their affliction and gave them the leader Moses. Uh, God, presented Moses, uh, God presented himself to Moses in the wilderness uh, through the fiery bush and said to him, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I have come to deliver them. Moses performed signs and wonders and led them out of Egypt and through the wilderness for 40 years. And through him, God gave the people the Ten Commandments and the law uh, to follow God. But even through all this deliverance, the people of Israel were still rebellious and defiant. The people of Israel made it to the promised land in the days of Joshua, and yet still wanted a different kind of leadership, pushing away God as their king. And so there were judges and then kings, and it was so until uh, King David uh, was appointed, and he found favor in the sight of the Lord. But after King David came the downfall of Israel, The people were in captivity, uh, going from nation to nation, but still hearing from God through the prophets. And throughout this time, the people of Israel suffered greatly, suffering from their sin and continual turning away from God. God had sent judges, kings, and prophets to reach the people, to convict them, to correct them, uh, to encourage them, to give them hope, and to try and steer them back to him, to the creator and to their true king. But the people of Israel, as we know, are a stubborn people. And too often they fell back into their sinful habits and going their own way. And just a side note, before we ever judge Israel, I think they show a pretty good model of what we tend to do in our life in relation to Christ. But back to this recap. It was in this captivity that God continued to remind the people in their distress, in their wickedness, in their sin, that he had a plan, that he was sending someone, the Messiah, the Savior, the true and better Adam, the true and better Moses, better than the King David himself, the fulfillment of the prophecies, God was sending someone, someone that would establish a kingdom that would rule, that in the minds of the Israelites would solve all the problems that they could ever think of. And this is where we find ourselves now in the story. We're in this state of Advent. There's a sense of longing and waiting for the coming Messiah, a looking forward to Christ. And that's what I want to talk about today in three parts, the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, and the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, just a little warning here. Today isn't your typical baby uh, Jesus in the manger Christmas sermon. It's a bit different. Uh, I tell you that to ready yourself to maybe hear this Christmas story in a different way. Um, but stay with me as I cover the life of Christ and how he redeemed. 
Today's about the coming Savior, the redemption he'll bring, and how the identity of this child unfolds here in these passages. These encounters with the angel, with Mary and Joseph, tell us so much of who Christ is, what he will do, and how he will reign. So open up your Bibles with me to Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And then if you have time right now, also turn in Luke 1, 26 to 38. But we'll start in Matthew. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And now flip with me over to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are, for your goodness, for the fact that you are king. You always have been king. Uh, no matter what we on earth, your people, uh, think, how we turn away, how we follow our sin, God, you are king and you reign. And we come before you this morning uh, with longing, with an advent, Lord, waiting, uh, in cele- waiting to celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, and so as we dig into your scriptures this morning, I pray that you would make yourself apparent, that we would see um, 
maybe with fresh eyes, with, uh, with a new heart and mind, uh, the truth uh, in these pages, the truth about you, the fact that you are Messiah, that you are the Christ, um, Jesus born of Mary is God. Lord, just be with us this morning. Um, open up our hearts. Pray that you take away any distractions, uh, that this time this morning uh, would be focused on your truth and on your word. Uh, so we pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. I'll get to those three points in a second. I just have some observations about this passage, and I want to break them down a little bit. Uh, starting here in Luke, we see this amazing encounter that Mary has with Gabriel, the angel sent from God, to give Mary the most amazing message. Uh, the angel comes with basically the gospel message of who Jesus is and what he's going to do. An angel appears before Mary, and as Pastor Wayne has preached in the past, these biblical uh, angelic visits are not the friendly cherub-like experiences that we may tend to think of. They are terrifying, fall down on your face in fear and awe type experiences. And this teenage girl is confronted with this angel. She's probably terrified, uh, but in, in the sense of something so heavenly, I don't see this every day kind of surprised way. And the angel says, and this, this terrifying, awe-filled angel says, greetings, O favored one. And she's left feeling greatly troubled trying to discern uh, what sort of greeting this might be. Uh, who wouldn't be at this moment? But then we see the angel further reassure her and addresses the reason for this encounter. The angel goes on to share with Mary that she is going to bear a child. And in this explanation, the angel reveals the name of the baby as well as who this baby will be. We read that the Savior's name will be Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We see her doubts she has and is feeling in verse 34 as being a virgin betrothed to Joseph. And she's still doubting, but then the angel reassures her that everything will be fine, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, an Israelite, uh, knows the history of Israel, knows who God is, knows that God is the one who saved her people from Egypt, knows that God has done amazing things uh, for her people, um, and the angel saying this, saying that nothing will be impossible with God, is a promise that he's got this. It's a reminder of his provision. And upon hearing the angel's reminders that this is of God, that this birth is of God's provision and goodness, she believes. Mary hears the gospel message and believes. She responds in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, oftentimes, I don't know this from experience, but a mother will have aspirations and hopes and dreams for their child, who their child will become, hoping that they'll uh, either continue in the success and wealth that they as parents enjoy, or maybe like Mary, who is coming from poverty, is hoping that their child will have a better life than their own. And in this instance, God, through the angel, gives Mary hopes and dreams beyond what she can comprehend as to what this child will experience and accomplish. The angel clues her in not just once but twice as to who this child, Jesus, would be. She thinks about it logically. She works through her doubts, uh, believes, and surrenders, and then she goes and seeks community with Elizabeth, 
uh, to affirm what is happening in her life. And just to wrap up Mary's response here to the angel, to hearing the gospel in Luke 1, uh, 46 through 56, we have... um, an amazing song, the Magnificat, which we don't have time to read right now, but this teenage girl responds to believing in Christ and hearing the gospel message uh, with praise, overflowing love and joy towards God. Praise towards God for who he is, a song of trust that Mary believes and exudes faith in Christ and joy in God's redemptive plan. Now let's switch over to Matthew. Um, When the angel visits Joseph in a dream, the angel talks about the coming Messiah, Emmanuel. And this is to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In the Old Testament, to the people of Israel, the greatest blessing for the people was for God to be with them. uh, Maybe traveling with them in the desert or dwelling with them in the temple But it was a blessing that was hindered uh, continually by their rebellion and defiance towards God. And we see in that the work that sin does against our creator king. In Jesus, however, the birth of Christ, God would provide salvation for his people and restore the broken relationship between him and his people. And the greatest blessing that Israel ever had would come true and be a reality once again, that God would be with them. God would be be with them in a way unlike ever before. We also see God's provision and sovereignty in the timing of sending an angel to Joseph. Uh, He would not have been wrong to ask for a divorce. He was an upright guy. And at this time, the marriage ceremony had not yet happened. So if he was going to part ways with Mary, now was the time. In verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1, we see that Joseph didn't want to put her to shame. Having this child in the betrothal period and Joseph, her betrothed, not being the father, had scandal written all over it. And not only would they be and were in the poorer class, but they would become social outcasts for the rest of their lives. And so we see God's perfect timing and sovereignty in sending the angel. And the angels in both these passages in small amounts of words gives us, they give us so much about who Christ is. And this is where I want to get into those three parts, the birth, the life, and death and resurrection of Christ. So, the birth of Christ. I want to emphasize and affirm that this baby, this child, is the Christ. We see the doubts that Mary has in his feeling, and we see her wrestle uh, wrestle with them to the point of belief in God, and furthermore, belief in her child and her son, that her son would be the Messiah. It's through the birth of her son Christ that we have the incarnation, the act of God taking on human flesh. Jesus, who is the Son of God and Son of Man, is born into this world. In Matthew, when the angel tells Joseph in verse 23 that the angel would be called Emmanuel, this is not only a name, but a revelation of who the baby would be, the fulfillment of prophecies. Verse 35 of Luke tells us that this baby is of God. It's a miracle of God. Mary asks, how would this happen given she's a virgin? And God says in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He just... uh, 
He doesn't just bear resemblance of God, but is God. And this is different than anyone else before. We know that children bear resemblance to their parents. I apparently have my dad's eyes and my mom's nose. Um, that's what I've been told. Uh, even more so, I have my mom's energy for life, and I have my dad's desire to figure things out and know how things work. We bear resemblance to our parents. Um, and while this is true of you and me, it's a different for Jesus. Well, this is saying that Jesus isn't going to just resemble God and have parts of God, but Jesus would be fully God as well as fully man. Jesus would be perfect, holy, and eternal just as God is. This baby is the Messiah. The parents receive here, uh, and, uh, or Mary receives and Joseph receives, and we receive as readers and believers confirmation of who this baby is through the lives of Simeon and Anna in chapter 2 of Luke. These people were truly in Advent. Remember, Advent being the state of longing and waiting and hoping for the Messiah. Simeon was told by God that he was not going to die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And upon seeing Jesus with joy, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He knows. He knows as soon as they enter, even as a baby, he knows that this is the Messiah. And this is so affirming to Mary and Joseph who are in the trenches of society trusting God with this baby, with having this baby. And then there's Anna, a prophetess in verse 36 of chapter 2, and it says in verse 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. This is a wonderful display of an active advent, if I can call it that, an active period of waiting and longing for God, not a passive, when the Messiah gets here, that'll be great, can't wait. But she's praying and fasting, awaiting, seeking the coming of Christ. What a testament uh, to God's sovereignty and a great reminder for us today to be active in our relationship with Christ, active in awaiting Christ. In the birth of Christ, we are invited to see, this is an amazing picture, we are invited to see the focal point of heaven come down in flesh, coming down off his throne into the darkness as the light to take on flesh to ransom us. And so these encounters with Anna, Simeon, Mary, and Joseph affirm the birth of Christ and who he is and how he's going to live his life. And that's number two, the life of Christ. Remember, this is a little bit different Christmas story. It's about the redemption through Christ. So as the angel foretold to Mary, Jesus lived uh, perfectly holy without sin. He was fully God and fully man. Matthew 1.21 says that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Remember that we as sinners are destined to death, left alone without the intervention of Christ we are bound for hell. But Christ came to save. This was his primary goal. Um, yes, during his life, he was, uh, and during his ministry, he was a teacher, he was a leader, uh, he was an example to the people at the time, to us today, but these were not his primary goals. His primary goal was to save. And many of us think in his saving, it happened on the cross 
Um, and he came, yes, he came to die, but his life cannot be quickly glanced over. His life is of, uh, so essential to the story. Jesus came to redeem, and that redemption started from the beginning, not just on the cross, but in the life of Christ. He lived the life that we were supposed to live, perfect and blameless, in order to be the perfect sacrifice. In order to be that perfect sacrifice, he had to live that perfect life. And his life was not an easy one. His life was a life of hardship, constant pressure, and conspiring from the people around him at the time. Remember, this creator king, the creator that we talked about just two weeks ago, the one who created everything, come down into flesh, was not accepted by his own people and was rejected. These people who were so, uh, were waiting for him for so long, they didn't see it. Jesus dealt with this hardship all along the way. There are more references to Jesus' sorrows and hardship in the Bible than his joy. Hence the name, the man of sorrows. His life was a hard one. But in him, we still have hope. Jesus is the second and better Adam. What Adam failed to do, Jesus did perfectly. Where Adam fell short, Jesus rose above above the temptation to give in. Jesus, like Adam, faced temptation from Satan to give in to indulging in self, having God and having God and more. And there's a beautiful picture here in the Bible of garden to garden, where humanity failed in the garden at the beginning of the story in Genesis. Jesus now succeeds in the garden. What I mean by that is this. Sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, and now we see uh, later on in the story of Christ, we see Jesus bearing all the sin in the world in the Garden of Gethsemane to make right what humanity had stained. The moment in the garden encompasses Jesus' life perfectly, saving, doing what he came to do in perfect obedience. He passes the temptation to give in, to succumb to sin, and he did what man could not and obeys God throughout every single moment of his life. In that moment in the garden in Gethsemane, he's starting to feel the pain and distance and wrath of God, wrath of God that comes towards sin. As Jesus is bearing all this, and he's starting to feel that. And again, to kind of this beautiful picture of garden to garden, where Adam felt this pain and distance from God out of rebellion towards God, Jesus feels this pain and distance from God out of obedience towards God. We see that Jesus' life is essential to our redemption. Just as it says in Luke, he is perfect and holy, and he's obedient, even to the point of death. And that's the third point, the death and resurrection of Christ. Those same words that the angel said to Joseph also tell us that Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, had to die. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. For he will save his people from their sins. As I mentioned at the beginning, we knew that that had to be a sacrifice to atone for our sins. The death of Christ redeems. We believe that Christ's sacrifice redeems us in our sinful state. And Jesus was obedient to the point of death. This, this right here is the only time in history that God says, Obey me and I will crush you. 
He died the death that we were supposed to die, sacrificing himself on that tree. Usually, as we read in the Bible, God says, Obey me and I will bless you. Obey me, as it says to Israel, as it says to Abraham, as he says to Obey me and I will bless you. You will see my blessing. But to, God, to Jesus, he says, Obey me and I will crush you. And there's another biblical visual here from tree to tree. The tree in the Garden of Eden was the focal point of Adam's obedience and therefore God's blessing. If Adam obeyed about the tree, God would bless him. For Jesus, the second and better Adam, the tree is still the focal point of his obedience, but not for blessing, but for death. God essentially says to Jesus that if you obey me, I will forsake you and cast your soul to hell. And yet Jesus obeys, bearing all of our sin, dying on the cross, forsaken by God. He is the perfect sacrifice. Instead of us, ruined sinners on that tree, on the cross, where you and I deserve to be as sinners, destined for hell, Christ, the King, the Creator, He hung there on the cross and paid the sacrifice, paid the price for our redemption. Through His death, we see God's plan continue to unfold as He saves those who believe in Him, and we get to experience glory with Him in eternity. Jesus redeemed us, dying the death that we were supposed to face, and defeating death and sin to bring us life eternal life with him, something we don't deserve even on our best day. If Jesus is who he claims to be, God, then we have the creator who created all things good and to glorify himself, coming down to his creation and paying the ultimate price with his own life. And he did this. He did this for us. But as we know, he didn't just die, which is so good. Because if the story ended there, uh, well, I can't imagine what it would be if the story ended there. He didn't just die. He rose again and ascended to be with God, advocating for us in front of God today. The God of life, slain by death, but no grave could hold him. And praise God, we know that he is alive today. What a glimpse of the future glory we get to experience, a steady hope that we have to look forward to, Christ's divinity and power on display in his ascension and in his resurrection and ascension as it will be for us as we join him one day. Through his resurrection, we too have eternal life. And in reading the story of Jesus here in the Bible, uh, it is a foreshadowing as followers of and believers in Christ for what is to come in our story. Just as the angel said to Mary and Luke, he will be great and will be, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Though they may not have known it at the time, the angel, angel foretold that Christ would not die but live eternally, ascended to the throne of heaven above. And we see that the story, we see the darkness. It's so important. Why it was so important to cover the entire Bible, not just the beginning and not just the end, but to see the need for Christ and seeing the whole story. We see that we too are sinners and there was no other option. There is no other way. The coming of the Messiah was needed. 
And so this story, as we read, should give us joy. It should cause us to praise. Um, it should cause us to have, in a way, our own Magnificat, as Mary wrote. Um, and as I was studying this week, I could not get a song out of my head. I think God placed the song on my mind and my heart. And it's called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Um, and it so, so greatly encompasses all three points of the birth, the life, and the death and resurrection of God. Um, and I won't read all of it for you, but it talks about, you know, Jesus, the theme of heaven's praises, uh, robed in frail humanity, taking on flesh to ransom us. It talks about uh, Jesus being perfect, never a trace of sin, coming to save us, to take our place on the tree, uh, to see the price of our redemption um, and how Christ's sacrifice brings all of us into glory. And it's just a beautiful song, and it ends with this, which I think is so perfect. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope Christ and power resurrected as we will be when he comes. So I just want to make sure that I'm emphasizing this morning the reason for Christ, um, the reason for the season, as they say. I mean, so, so sadly that's misconstrued for something else, for vacation time, family time, presence, which in and of themselves are all good things, but the reason for the season is Christ. And I want to convey the joy that we have in Christ, the joy found in his redemption. And when we hear the Christmas story, uh, we should be um, just exuding praise, uh, love, and thankfulness to God. What we need to remember, what we see here in the birth of Christ, is that God is good. We believe in the redemption. Redemption is the act of looking at something evil and making it better. The act of Um, In this case, the act of saving people from sin and evil. God had created, and it was good. Humanity chose their own way. We weren't satisfied with what God was giving us, and so we fell. We sinned. Sin entered the world, and all of humanity succumbed to sin. God saw the evil that encompassed the world, and he had to intervene. And I want to close with this story that Tim Keller included in his book, Encounters with Jesus. And I can't summarize any better than what was written. Um, But before I start quoting, it starts with C.S. Lewis describing how God isn't just a God in the sky um, where astronauts have the best chance of reaching God at higher altitudes. But God is the creator of the whole universe that we have a relationship with. Uh, He goes on to describe how when an author writes a book or a story, those characters in that book and story, uh, they don't know the author. They'll only know about the author what the author writes about himself into the story. And so Lewis gives the example of Shakespeare. Uh, How much will Hamlet know about Shakespeare? Uh, Only what Shakespeare includes about himself into the story. In the same way, we won't know God just by going higher into space um, following that logic that God is in the heavens. But we can know God, God by what he's written and about himself into our life, into the world around us. And here's where I want to quote from. Someone who did something like what Lewis describes was his friend, the author Dorothy Sayers. 
Sayers was one of the first women to go to Oxford, and she was a writer of detective fiction. She wrote a series of great stories and novels called The Lord Peter Whimsy Stories. Lord Peter was an aristocratic detective, single and alone. And in the middle of the series, a tall, not particularly attractive woman named Harriet Vane appears in the stories. Harriet is one of the first women to go to Oxford, and she is a writer of detective fiction. And she and Peter fall in love, get married, and solve mysteries together. Now, what's going on there? Some people have speculated that Dorothy Sayers looked into the world that she created and into the character that she created, saw his pain, saw his loneliness, fell in love with him, and wrote herself into the story just to save him. And God, you see, has done quite the same thing. God looked into our world, the world that he made, saw us destroying ourselves and the world by turning away from him, and it filled his heart with pain. He saw us struggling to extricate ourselves from the traps and misery we created for ourselves. And so he wrote himself in. Jesus Christ, the God-man, born in a manger, born to die on a cross. So behold who Jesus is, how he loves you, and how he came to put the world right. I love that thought. When I read that, I, there was no better way of putting it, that God wrote himself in because he saw what we needed, because he loved us. We can be and are redeemed through Jesus Christ, through his life and death and resurrection. The people of Israel were in Advent as they looked forward to Christ, longing for him and waiting for him. And we, too, are in Advent, waiting for the second coming of Christ. And we'll talk about that more next week as Pastor Wayne covers that. Um, but let's pray right now. God, you are a good God. And as we just briefly covered your story here, um, from the fall to the coming Savior and to uh, you writing yourself into the story, coming down into earth, taking on flesh, it is so evident that you are a good God and that you love us, that you love us so much. And God, we praise you for what Jesus did, that he was born, that he lived a hard life, that he obeyed perfectly throughout his entire life, even obedient to the point of death. And he did what man failed to do. And we, so good, God, that uh, he obeyed. Where, where man, where Adam fell short, Christ obeyed. And we have so much to praise. That, that is the source of our joy. The source of our praise is the fact that we get to have eternal life with you. As we read Jesus' story, uh, it's a foreshadowing for us. We know that that is to come. And so we praise you for that, God. And we want to be in Advent, God, an active Advent longing for you. In this Christmas season, um, whatever the distractions, whatever good or bad they are, I pray that you would still be our focal point, that you would be our priority. God, help us to see the darkness that we come from and the light in life that we have because of you and our need for you. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. And we know that you are good to us. We believe. In your name we pray.
Amen.